Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang. Here's a segment that always proves quite interesting as far as headlines are concerned. A regional roundup where we take a look at what we can expect from Rosman Manso's upcoming verdict to Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr.'s upcoming visit to Singapore, as well as the suspension of Thai Prime Minister Prayachanucha. Let's get some analysis from Dr. Felix Tan, who is political observer at Nanyang Technological University. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Felix. How good are morning. You? I'm good. <laughs> we have a bit of drama to get through. Good reading as well. Malaysia's ex-Prime Minister Najib Razak has begun serving his uh, 12-year prison sentence after failing his final appeal to overturn that corruption conviction linked to the 1MDB. Uh, Dr. Felix, some see the verdict as a bit of the tip of the iceberg and a victory in this fight to so-called clean up the corrupt practices and politics what are your thoughts on this? Apparently, the former PM Mahathir Mohamad does not think so. <laughs> yeah, I think I would agree with uh, Dr. Mahathir Mohamad. You know that I don't think that this will necessarily be a fight to clean up the country's politics. Now we have to understand that probably corruption is uh, in this part of the world is rather endemic, and Malaysia is just no different. Now there have been also arguments that this has been a politically motivated attack on the former prime minister. So, you know, the cards are on the table. There could be many views to this, but I do not think that this is just the tip of the iceberg. Perhaps in this particular case is that he wasn't careful enough. And uh, so firstly, you know, we have to see that, you know, Malaysian politics goes beyond just the person. And secondly, Malaysian politics is largely dominated by several parties and several leaders vying for power. So I think, uh, you know, this could be a start of, you know, uh, many other cases as well, but it's not necessary a, a fight to clean up the country's politics. Mm. I'm going to tiptoe around this question and, and try to ask it the best I can. Uh, hopefully I don't mess this up. I mean, when we talk about public opinion in Malaysia, there are a number of factors. Are we taking for granted how much the religious factor has played a part when you consider the different generations of the workforce that so-called, for lack of better choice of words, that modern thinking, modern expectations with this younger workforce? Mm. With regards to Malaysia, I think that there is a huge divide within the country itself, okay. not just between the whether the younger workforce or the older workforce, uh, but there are also different states will have different gravitation towards different political parties. Mm-hmm. So I think that is also one of the issues here. So at this point in time, I don't think Najib is able to garner a huge following, although there are you know, uh, supporters that he has all this time. Uh, the religious group, I think that was a good point, but I think that they run on their own tangent sure. in itself. And uh, most of the time, and largely, they do not look too favorably towards secular politics mm. in that sense. Mm-hmm. So there is a divide and they work on their own. And usually in Malaysia, past will take much of that pie. Mm. So even within the secular government itself, there are also different factions. You've got UMNO, you've got DAP, yeah. and so on and so forth. So these are, you know, you could say there are different groups that are vying for power in the country. So yeah. there is a divide there. Yeah, and then if we look at the profile of the Sarawakian voter, that's another story altogether. <laughs> uh, yeah, correct. Yeah, that's- it's safe to say together. faith in uh, so-called the justice is not fully restored in that sense. Uh, well, I think when it comes to justice as well, I think uh, we also have to understand that it's sort of state-by-state cases. Okay. So what happens in, for example, like you mentioned, Sarawak is completely different from what happened probably in, in, <laughs> in Johor or in, you know, in, in Kelantan and also in Selangor. 
So I think we have to understand. But of course, there's a federal government, okay. and I think it okay. has become a federal case. Uh, so there has also been talks that the Sultan Abdullah of Pahang, who is also currently the young deep Patuan Agong, mm. might <laughs> be pardoning him. Mm. Uh, or at least Abno is trying to get Najib pardoned in this instance. But I think his case is very different from Anwar Ibrahim. And, yeah. you know, there is clearly a situation of a breach of trust by a former prime minister to siphon millions of dollars into his own pocket. So I think the Sultan will be caught in a huge fine at this point in time. Mm. Rosman Mansour's upcoming verdict, I believe, happening tomorrow. I mean, let's talk about what we can expect. Uh, and apparently, I hear there's been an alleged leak of the verdict. What are you making of this? Mm, I think the leak has been, you know, a rather most disingenuous uh, to begin with. Uh, but I think uh, we also have to see that the verdict is probably moot by now, you know, mm-hmm. given that the jury is out on this one. No huge surprises there. And I think unless the court decides to water down the sentencing for her, there will always be a likelihood, you know, that Rosma will put up a fight on this instance. But uh, how long it will drag out, is I, I don't think it will take that, that long. Already, her husband is in prison. So she's probably next to go. That kind of leaves some form of precedence in that sense uh, as far as the verdict is concerned. Uh, well, you know, Rosma is not the most well-liked first lady in Malaysia to begin with. I think that can agree on. But there's a sort of possibility that she might make a surprise comeback. You know, we have seen that in the Philippines with the former Philippines first lady, Imelda mm. Marcos. Mm-hmm. And she made a surprise comeback into politics as well, you know, after the death of her husband. So, you know, we might see a return of Rosma in some form or in some way, you know, despite uh, what the verdict might be. Hey, well, when you have your hair, you know, standing the way hers manages to, <laughs> you never know, right? Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Let's turn our attention to Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. I understand he's set to make a state visit to Singapore September 6 to 7 at the invitation of uh, our President Halima Yaakob. Uh, let's talk about the objective of this visit and... I guess it makes sense to continue to strengthen ties since uh, we have quite a close relationship with Philippines. Mm-hmm. I think definitely. I think uh, his visit will be probably a goodwill visit to reconnect the ties between Singapore and the Philippines. You know, after all, Singapore does boost a significant number of foreign domestic yeah, workers, yeah. IT specialists, and also nurses from the Philippines. So certainly this visit will boost that sort of uh, stronger connection uh, between its people in our country and also between state-to-state relations as well. But above and beyond that, I think it also will probably boost uh, stronger economic ties, especially since uh, Singapore and the Philippines are part of ASEAN and you know, it will bode very well for the two countries. So I think it's also re-established that kind of uh, connection and it will continue to work on sustaining uh, the good relations between the two countries. I mean, it's good that the tourism there has opened up as well. And I'm leading to, you know, the kind of challenges uh, that President uh, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. has to deal with. Uh, he submitted a record uh, budget that works up to about $94 billion for 2023 to the House of Representatives. Um, at the end of the day, this unity budget, uh, as it's called, is to propel the country out of its COVID-19-induced slum. Money is going to be an issue. You know, where are you going to get this money? And is it too little, too late? Mm-mm-mm. I think despite his uh, father's tainted legacy, I think uh, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. or you know, commonly known as Bongbong Marcos mm. does command a good amount of support from the Filipinos. Yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, this budget proposal is probably one of the highest and you know, that has been sent to the Philippines Congress. Uh, but I think he's sticking to his uh, campaign promises as, uh, you know, to build better, more, and also to improve Philippines' infrastructure programs as well, and also the economy, especially after COVID-19. 
2019. Um, but one can only hope that the money will not be given to dubious business uh, yeah. people and leaders. And I think that is uh, one of the biggest challenges Philippines will face. And you know, time and again, you know, there has always been that sort of a businesses that is, you know, leaves a lot more to be expected. Now, this is a huge problem in the field of Philippines. Now, what this budget would hope to do is perhaps alleviate many Filipinos that have been affected by uh, the economic downturn as well. So uh, we can only hope for the best uh, in the Philippines. But this is a six-year, one-term kind of a presidency. So he has to do it fast, do it quick, and you know, do the best he can. Mm, unfortunately, only time will tell. I'm on the line this morning with Dr. Felix Tan, who is political observer for Nanyang Technological University. Uh, Dr. Felix, moving on to Thailand, the Constitutional Court there has surprised the nation by suspending Prime Minister Prayut Chan-o-cha. How will this suspension play out? Is there any chance, I mean, to save Pride, he would resign before it kicks in? There's definitely no likelihood or very unlikely that the Prayut Chan Hotel will resign. And there is no need, at least until a court decision. So the court could also drag this case out until the next election, which is due in uh, May 2023. And uh, there is no time frame for the court to issue any verdict at this point in time. Now, also, we have to understand that Prayut Chan Hotel is probably not the most well-loved prime minister, given that he came into power through a coup. So how I see it is that the court will likely rule in Prayut's favour and okay. reinstall him as Prime Minister. Uh, there might be some sort of a compromise and it will uh, give Prayut enough time to compete in the, the next election if the results and the verdict is released before the next election. Uh, and there won't be any surprises there. But I think that the main issue here is whether Prayut has actually served more than eight years as Prime Minister. Mm. And depending on how the court decides, you know, how they view his term, whether he started in 2014 when he took over the premiership in a coup, or did he start his premiership in 2017 when the uh, Thai constitution got rewritten, or, you know, 2019 when he won the general election. So I think these are three different, you know, time frames, the court that can look at, and the likelihood there will be some sort of a compromise and said that he probably started in 2019. I don't want to be a lawyer in that court. Uh, wow. Uh, Dr. Felix, final country I just want to take a look at before we wrap things up uh, is Myanmar. Uh, the UN's new special envoy for Myanmar, Noilin Hazer's trip to the country. What are some of the highlights? Uh, what stood out for you with regard to Ms. Hazer's uh, meeting with uh, Ming An Hian? And I don't know, is it another failed mission where the UN is concerned? Because this is dragging out for longer than it needs to be. Mm, I, I think it's definitely dragged out far longer than anyone would have expected it to be. And it's going down the, the rabbit hole at this point in time. I think uh, one can see that this is just yet another you know, failed mission by the UN or yeah. any you know, political bodies to change the situation in Myanmar. We have to understand that Myanmar military leaders, not least to me online, are a very belligerent lot. There is no compulsion on their part to end their rule, especially... Yeah when they can continue to wield significant power over the people of Myanmar. Now, for them, there are much to lose, you know, in terms of getting uh, great deals out of uh, businesses and uh, so on and so forth. So I think uh, 
this uh, mission, UN mission to the country has not really succeeded as what they had planned. And I think while Ms. Hayes' visit has been a good move and kind of welcomed by the leaders, but we must stop short of seeing it as legitimizing the junta's rule over the country. I think that is where Ming Online is coming from. You know, there isn't much to get out of this visit. There wasn't much achieved. In fact, nothing was achieved. Ms. Hayes wanted to meet up with Aung San Suu Kyi, which she Mm. didn't get to. Mm -hmm. She has asked Ming Online to stop killing and and targeting civilians in the country, which he has not done. And uh, in return, the UN has not said that he is the official or the leader of the country. So I think both sides are not getting anything out of this mission, out of this visit at all. Wow. Okay. Been online (laughs) with uh, Dr. Felix Tan, political observer, Nanyang Technological University. Dr. Felix, I really appreciate your time this morning. Take care. Have a great day. All right. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.